Welcome to the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast, a no-nonsense show designed to help you punch fear in the face and create the life you've always dreamed of. Now, here are your hosts, Vince and Christian. Hey everyone, welcome back to Middle Class Millionaires. It is Friday, December 30th when we're recording this. You're going to be listening to it in the future, next wow. year, <laughs> 2023. <laughs> I had to do my dad joke, right? You haven't heard from us since last year. Well, it's because we're in the future. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. All right. Yeah, that's terrible. That's terrible. That's okay. Well, Christian, how are you doing over there in Texas? I'm doing peachy keen. How are you there, Vince? I am great, man. No complaints. It is, uh, we're out of this cold front and it's a nice 60 something degrees. I got my Speedo on and I'm all set mm. for this uh, podcast. No, I'm a visual person. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can only see the top half of me, so you don't know what I'm sporting underneath. But anyway, we'll move on to this, to the uh, episode here at hand. Uh, all right, guys. So in this episode, we're going to talk about um, some lessons learned in 2022, some ways to set yourself up for success in 2023. And then we're going to cover a little book for y'all that we talked about, uh, man, a couple months ago. Probably about a month and a half and ago. I'm blanking on the title. Was it? The Most Important Thing by Howard Marks. Okay. By Howard Marks. Again, hey, thank you for listening. If you are, it's been a, a long journey here with us. We're coming up on three years, I think, in February or March. Um, so it's been fun. We've been consistent. I know we've taken, technically, by the time you're listening to this, it will have been almost a month off, but holidays, Christmas, et cetera, et cetera. That's our excuse. So, all right, <laughs> well, let's just get into it. What are some lessons you learned this year in 2022, Christian? Well, first, I would like to start off by saying that uh, in the year 22, uh, 2022, a lot of individuals did very well, right? Uh, in real estate and cryptocurrency and NFT and whatever uh, space you want to talk about, pretty much everyone everyone did well. The tide lifted all boats. It's in a time when anyone could easily make money, real estate, crypto. Uh, a lot of people have already started, are starting to get filtered out of these industries. Uh, and this coming market will determine, you know, who who's going to win in this environment and who's not going to be so fortunate. So with that being said, you know, in 2022, obviously it was a great year for everybody, but now it's if you haven't already time to focus on not depending on just one source of income as your main income so that may be realtors or flippers uh people like that so uh have a few different specialties if you will and have a few different incomes coming in and then starting to prepare for having extra reserves on hand and then focus, uh, you know, 2022 for me uh, specifically, I just kind of really got focused in on a specific asset and then uh, ran with that. So I'm going to continue to do that for uh, 23. And we'll talk about some more stuff about how to set yourself up for massive success in 2023. Vince, what do you got? Yeah, you know, one of the things you talked about was uh, maybe you're just naming examples, but I think one of the biggest, at least what I've seen, one of the biggest maybe industries of people kind of uh, falling to the wayside is real estate agents. 
Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of a lot of people saw the market booming and they were like, I can I everyone and their mom is a real estate agent. Everyone got their license. They're like, I'm gonna make it, the market's great. And it was great for a lot of agents who were selling, you know, <laughs> you could sell a house to a fly. And, um, you know, all these agents are making crazy commission, but then when the market got slow, what happens then? You know, like yeah. you said, did, did those people have a second source of income? I'm going to go out on a limb and probably say no. And a lot of them relied on real estate as their income. Right. And then when it slowed, some of these people are either getting crushed or having to go back to a nine to five or finding another source of income. So I've, I've always been a firm believer in having multiple sources of income. One of the things my dad did teach me was to have multiple sources of income. So ever since, um, and ever since I probably left the Marine Corps, maybe a year or two after, I think I've always had at least one or two ways to make money. You know, here in the last couple of years, it's been a few more, which I guess can lead into, uh, one of the lessons I learned in 2022. But before I go into that, let me finish this thought. Sorry, I, I, I'm getting sidetracked. I would just say if, if you're one of those people, if you're a real estate agent or if you were a flipper, you know, Donovan talks a lot about, you know, certain people in this market, uh, Donovan Ruffin. And, um, and, and he's, dealing with a lot of, he's dealing with a lot of wholesalers. So the yeah. wholesalers, you know, it's a transactional uh, income. So they're basing it on, when they can flip a contract uh, from from homeowner to investor, they're the middleman. So, uh, like he, like he, he said, um, a lot of these wholesalers are starting to get dried out, man. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of these people who uh, anyone. And this is this is where I was going. I think this is part of the book, or it's from something I heard recently. But or maybe you said it. Everyone and their mama said it. Anyone can make money in a bull market, but can you survive and make money in a bear market? That's where a lot of the opportunities are. That's where a lot of people make their wealth is in the bear market. And you have to learn how to navigate, okay, what does opportunity look like now in this bear market? I'll leave that there because I think there's more on that that we're going to talk about with the book and and then ways to set yourself up for success. But one of the biggest lessons I learned, I think you know me well enough, probably more than anybody. I have a very hard time focusing. Like an uber hard time. (laughs) Oh, we don't even, and that's just business. We don't want to talk about cars. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> and this is just my personality. I, I'm one to, I want to try everything. You know, like if I think it might work, let me try it. And if it doesn't, okay. I, I knew, I know that that didn't, that didn't work for me. So it's not that, it's not so much that I'm, uh, got my head in the clouds, but I am the type of person that's like, I, I want to know that I at least tried it. And if I failed, then okay, I failed. So one of the things I got into this year in January um, was NFTs. <laughs> those are those man, uh, slot I machines, picked, right? Yeah, the artistic slot machines, like you <laughs> said yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, what a journey that's been. I've been in it for almost a year now because I got in um, January 26th or January 16th. It has a six in there. And man, I'm perfect timing. You know, when, when you and I got into stocks in 20. 2020, I think, was right when um, Trump, you know, left office and we were still in a bull market and then the stock market just took a crap. Uh, The same thing kind of happened with NFTs. I got in, obviously, you know, hindsight's 2020 and you never really know until after the fact, but I got in at the very end of the bull market of NFTs from 2020 till probably 
February, March of this year, NFTs were just hot. I mean, Board API Club and uh, CryptoPunks and some of the OGs really set it off. And so everyone and their mom was starting projects. There was a lot of rug pulls, which are founders launching a project and then basically ditching. I am a rug pull survivor. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just learned a lot of lessons in analyzing risk, which is one of the things that we're going to talk about in the book, uh, about the book. And so this was, uh, I had some, I had some big wins this year, but I had some, I would say big losses too. Thankfully they're, they've probably evened out. So like I, I haven't done that full, full math. I just kind of have it in my head. Um, I wouldn't say I've lost money, but the time that I put in, I definitely, you know, what's your time worth? I lost money in that, in that aspect. Mm. Um, so one of the, the biggest lessons for me is, uh, and I think it, and I'm not bashing the NFT market. I think it's amazing. I've met some pretty cool people in the market. I think there are projects that are doing good things. Some of them donate to various causes. So there are use cases for them. I think it's a great market. For me personally, it takes up too much of my focus, not only in my business, but from my family. So um, really, I think this summer I stepped back hard. Like I completely unplugged from Twitter. I mean, I was a ghost in NFTs for a while. And here recently, I've kind of got back in and I've I've been able to um, kind of limit the amount of time that I devote to it. But for me, I, and again, these are things we're going to talk about in the book. One of the biggest things that he talks about, at least at the beginning, is analyzing risk and assessing assessing risk. And I definitely didn't do that. You know, bull market, everyone's making money. It's great. You're going to be a gazillionaire overnight. And I was like, yeah, I'm in. And then. Well, they said uh, Bitcoin was supposed to reach 100K by the end of this year. Is that right? No, I think it was the end of last year. It was supposed to be 100K, but I think oh. we're sitting at uh, 16, 17. <laughs> but one of the things I've learned is, again, NFTs are great. I, I think there is uh, a lot of use cases for them. For me personally, it derailed my focus from my self-storage business. I mean, I did sell the one business and then we moved here to Tennessee. So I had a lot going on. Uh, I'm still expanding our storage facility in West Tawakonee. Buildings get delivered in 22 days. God willing, I get permits and the concrete laid before then, which I should, hopefully. Um, so I'm still I'm still devoting my time to that. But and this is something that I've been learning since I've known you is to focus. And no matter how good you are at it, and how much I have learned from you about focus, and I would say I've gotten better. It's still so freaking hard for me to focus because I just want to do all the things. But what I have gotten into recently that you know is um, a little bit of Pokemon and MLB card buying, flipping, investing uh, in physical assets. You know, like I jokingly showed you where my microphone is set up on a 1999 base set booster box that I can touch and see and feel. And it's not volatile. I mean, obviously Pokemon and cards can be somewhat volatile, but for the most part, it's pretty steady. I'm not devoting myself full time to that, but um, I am just focusing on things that I can mostly control. NFTs, there's absolutely no control. I mean, you are at the, not to say it's a Ponzi scheme because everything, if you really think about it as a Ponzi scheme, you're just waiting for someone to pay more than what you paid. But I'm focusing on things that I can control. So for 2023, my what I'm doing, I'm going to devote myself to getting the storage facility expanded. 
uh, stabilized and then I'm going to sell it and either park that uh, money via a 1031 exchange up here or I'll uh, build the collector car stores that I think we've talked about on the show if there's a demand here. I have a couple of things that I'm going to do uh, in the coming months to see if the demand is there. And if it is, then I'll go forward. And if not, I'll figure something else out. If I if I had a word for 2023 for me, it would probably be focus. I should write that on my whiteboard. It's a good word. And, uh, you know, focus can really take you far if you're if you're focused and dialed in. Um, and, and really to get there, you just got to you start with uh, writing down your your goals and um, it's probably a little bit easier if you break it down by quarter and then you can keep your KPIs and keep track of your progress of hitting these goals and stuff like that. So, but I have that yeah, I think under the, uh, the, my list for 2023 as well. Well, for, to help out you guys, but all right. So how to set yourself up for massive success in 2023. So for number one, I have a list of 10 here. So uh, number one, I think, especially if you're, you know, maybe you're not a business owner yet or uh, a real estate investor or anything like that, uh, is to kind of, you know, find fulfillment and find something to take responsibility for that's connected to a goal. Uh, if If you feel like you're drifting in life and stuff, I think this is a good way to dial you back in and kind of get you on a, on a right, on a right path. Um, and then just, you know, once you, you know, once you've kind of gone through this list or, or worked on some of these things, you can definitely find a way to give back. And like, for example, there, there's different ways of giving. So like, it's not just monetary, it can be giving your time to help somebody else, uh, get on their path of success. It could be, like a podcast, we, we do this podcast really to help you. We don't get paid. We do it to help you guys and, and, uh, providing you with any experiences we had. So that way you can, maybe you learn from us in one way or another, and you can avoid, uh, a costly mistake. Uh, so giving can, can also provide that feeling of fulfillment. So that fulfillment is all connected as you see. So, you know, that's one of the first things you can do to set yourself up for success in 2023. Vince? Yeah, that's good. I um, I haven't gotten a check yet for this podcast. I'm still waiting on it. I keep checking the mail and it's, it's not yeah, showing it's, up. But... It's, it's not, you know, for our four <laughs> listeners. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we're up to seven now, remember? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, we get, we get, we get just... uh, feedback all the time. Uh, we really try to, you know, give you, as, we try to be as open as possible about our business ventures and life and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, really help you guys trying to be, whether you're just getting started or you're trying to venture into a different asset class, you know, that's what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things I, and this is maybe a humble brag. One of the things I like about this podcast is we are pretty open about our situation. Um, sometimes even financial situation, whereas a lot of other people kind of, um, and, and obviously everyone can say and do whatever they want, but one of the things that I appreciate about us is we're very open with where we came from, where we've gotten to successes and failures. I feel like we're pretty, at least, you know, me, I'm, I'm very, I wear my heart on my sleeve. You look at me, you know what I'm thinking or feeling, and I'm pretty open. Uh, I feel like honesty is the quickest path. So why not just tell people, you know, if I'm having great success, why not tell people I came from absolutely nothing. 
you know, just like you did, we both have been at the absolute bottom. So why not tell people that on the other side is success so that they can know like, Hey, it's not just something I see on TV or, you know, whatever, but I can obtain it too. So yeah, again, like you said, we do this podcast, we do this podcast to help you guys, um, have this short, shorter path to, to kind of where we're at. You know, there are some expensive lessons that I've talked about that I learned at the beginning. And um, one of the things I like about the certain people I follow, and I'm not going to say this person's name because mm. you've told me not to, <laughs> <laughs> and other people. Um, but, you know, we're, we're learning stuff from, from those guys and gals, and we're shortcutting our path to success. I think that's one of the biggest ways I think we can give back because it not only helps that person, but I think it, it it can honestly change generations because there maybe they you know some someone who I'm not going to say their name taught us taught me or whatever a lesson and then I implemented my, my life and it saves me six months to a year or, or whatever of learning the hard way. Well, then you know anyway. So here one thing that I think for 2023 that that people could really kind of take hold of and remove this word from your vocabulary. I was listening to a certain podcast today where this person was covering his year in 2022. And uh, one of the guys he had on, I almost turned it off because I don't like this guy that he was interviewing. I just, something about him I just don't like, but I listened to it. And he said, remove the butt from 2023. So I want to do, you know, X, Y, Z, but I don't, whatever. Or I'd love to do this, this and that, but I don't have the money or whatever, all the, you know, all the reasons people give you and I, we both talked about this on that, on this, on this podcast gazillions of times, we both have no capacity for people with excuses. So there's no, absolutely no reason why you can't be successful in this day and age, even in this bear market. I think there are plenty of ways to make opportunities. So I would encourage y'all listening. Um, don't be, don't have the victim mentality. Any, I was listening to Andy Frisella today and um, a lot of people, they, they see things happening, uh, not, I forgot the, the, the way he worded it, but instead of seeing how something can, be, can benefit them or how they can use that for the good, they think they're just getting attacked and they're negative and the world sucks and everyone hates me, you know? So I think going into this year, remove the butt, you know? Oh, if you don't have money, Okay, how can you make money? One of the things that we both said that we tell our kids, I tell my kids there's no can't. You figure out how you can do it. So same for, for me, and sometimes I have to eat my own medicine, but I would say figure out how you can do something and don't let can't be part of your, your vocabulary or even the word but. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So you got to shift your mindset. You need to optimize the way you respond to your environment. Uh, how Think about how do you respond to challenges and difficulties that happen in your life? You know, really just sit and uh, analyze, like, how are you when when a challenge uh, comes up or, or difficulty comes up? Do you get flustered? Mm -hmm. Do you get anxious? Do you get, uh, you know, what what feelings do you get? And, and then, you know, once you've sat and analyzed it, uh, find a way to respond positively and, uh, you know, uh, just finding ways to help you get through those, those difficulties. And without, without, you know, 
coming out on the other end with a negative mind uh mindset on whatever you're you know this goes to failure so like if you fail at something um you know the thing the thing about success is that a lot of failure is often involved and that may it may not be like big failures like you may realize but it can be little small stuff here and there that build up um or it can be big failures so you know, to be successful, you need to analyze your failures. Why did you fail? Uh, look at what you can control and then figure out a different path uh, to that same goal. You have to move forward and you must be willing to fail a lot. That's what success is. One thing I like to do as well is I don't plan for failure. You know, to me, they're just lessons. I don't I don't plan to fail. I have a I have a plan A and a plan A only. And, um, you know, Whenever I'm tackling a goal, it's just plan A. There's nothing else. So if if a failure does come, I look at it as a lesson, and then I readjust, and then I continue moving forward. You know, this this famous guy that I listen to, uh, me, says uh, failure. it's only a failure if you learn nothing from it. So I think that that's you're right on point, man. It, it, it's only a failure if you, can't, if you literally can't learn anything from it. Right, and right. And you have to take... You have to take a like I've forgotten how to say his name. I'm probably going to butcher it. Jocko, what's his face? The Navy SEAL. Mm-hmm. You know, he wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. Um, if things are going bad, or if something has happened to you, or if things are failing, if your marriage is you know is in shambles, or your kids are disrespectful or whatever, okay, how can you take ownership of that situation? Like what what can you do to make the situation better? And this is hard because as men or as anybody, men and women. A lot of pride comes in, you know, and there, there's been times where maybe in my marriage where I feel like my wife should be doing something and I'm like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be nice to her until she does X, Y, and Z. Well, that's really prideful. And so instead of doing that, I can take extreme ownership and figure out, okay, well, why is this happening? You know, uh, I can analyze the situation and again, take ownership and do my part to make the situation better, even without the other person doing their part. At least I can do my part. And I think that's the same in, in anything. And one of the things you said at the beginning of, of the episode and a few minutes ago is how 2023, I don't know if you said these exact words, but something to the effect of 2023 is going to look different than 2022 did. You'll have to work harder in 2023 than you did in 2022. Uh, these are notes from someone I listened to yesterday. Uh, he talked about the 80-20 rule of life. 80, 80% of the output is determined by 20% of the input. So he says, hone in on the 20% of the activities that will really move the needle. So what are what, what are 20% of you know what you're what you're doing? Really focus on those things that are going to get you really far, like you did this year. You really hammered down and got serious about self storage, and then the other stuff that you're you know kind of shifting your focus to. That's probably going to you. I know you. It'll, you'll do very well in it, but you you really focus on those things, and that that focus I think is going to set you up for major success. And anyone listening in 2023, if you can focus, really hone in on what can propel you forward, I think that's going to be a game changer. And hopefully for me, I can actually focus and uh, get this uh, storage facility expanded, which I should. I mean, not to say it's going to be easy, but I mean, as long as the market doesn't absolutely just tank and people don't need storage for whatever reason, it should do well and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, you got anyway, to get that's my little tidbit. 
yeah, you got to get laser focused. I promise um, things in, in your life will change. Uh, and of course, it's going to it's going to vary on what you want. Right. Like everyone has everyone has a different vision for their life. Um, you know, my vision definitely looks different than some visions or some people's visions um, that are maybe just part want to want to invest part time or maybe they still want to work a regular job and invest on the side, whatever the case. Um, we have different visions, but you got to establish your vision and what it looks like. And then once you have your vision, you break it down into uh, small steps, small goals, small obtainable, measurable goals, and then keep a to-do list. Like, you know, I have, I have a couple whiteboards up in my room and I've already got my 2023 mapped out. Uh, I have things with my uh, storage businesses, my KPIs, things I need to meet. And then I have on the other stuff I'm focusing on and shifting focus to uh, what that looks like for me, how the steps I need to take to get there. And, you know, you get the point, but really just, you know, write down your goals, write them in small steps, keep a to-do list, keep a calendar and stay disciplined. And then just put your head down and, you know, you'll, you'll definitely get pretty far on your, on your goals. So, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to say a little bit more on that. Hopefully I'm not beating a dead horse and I'm just going to say who I keep talking about. It's at my lap because I'm part of the RTA syndicate and we had a Q and a yesterday and, uh, man, he said some really good stuff because obviously their call was about 2023. So one of I'm just going to read a couple of the things that he said, because I really think if, if people listening can, can hear this, I mean, I need to implement this myself, but if you can really hear what Ed is saying here. I mean, I think this can really be a game changer. So he says, uh, he, he's talking about seeing, and then he goes into structure and uh, vision. So he says, if you want to dominate, you need to be constantly seeing what you want. Our mind moves towards what we see the most. It's the same as that, you know, that, uh, whatever that theory is or that law, you know, if you, all of a sudden you want a silver Honda Civic. And so all you're thinking about is a silver Honda Civic. Well, when you're going down the road, all you see is silver Honda Civics, right? Your mind is now focus on that thing that you keep thinking of. So uh, it's, it's the thing, it's, pay, it's paying attention to the thing that you want, paying attention to the path. You know, in NASCAR, they tell them not to look at the wall. They tell them to pay attention to their path, their line, you know, because if you pay attention to the wall, you're just going to go straight into the wall. Our thoughts are magnets. They draw us to what we're focusing on. Vision needs to have a sense of the historic. You're either making history or changing history. And then he goes into a little different spin on vision, which I thought was really cool. Uh, your vision as a leader, whether it's your team, your family, your culture, your clients, comes down to your ability to see people. You know, saying to your spouse or your kids, I love you and I see you. Or your, maybe you have employees like, hey, I see that thing you did the other day with that customer that was so cool. Their face really lit up when you did this. You know, seeing people. Then he talked about Ed had a uh, someone on his podcast or maybe in his book who was a former FBI hostage uh, negotiator. And he said, what gets a hostage released is not meeting their demands. He said, this guy said only that only works 3% of the time. So 97% of the time, what works is the uh, if the hostage taker believes that you understand why you took the hostage. So if you... If they understand and they are seen and heard on why they did what they did, they typically let the person go. Really, everything in life, people just want to be seen and people want to be heard, right? We all 
<laughs> there's that song by DC Talk, uh, We All Want to Be Loved. It's from the 90s. If you didn't grow up in Christian uh, music in the 90s, you wouldn't know it. But um, So I think this year we can all, and this goes for me too, we can all be present with people. We can get better at seeing people and believe, and letting people believe that we see them. That's a big thing. Like they have to actually believe that we see them, which means you have to actually see them. People know fake. Most people know fake. Yeah. Uh, and to finish that up, uh, I think visualization is extremely important. I, I probably don't talk about this enough, but I visualize. I, I just do it naturally. I, I don't know. But I visualize um, my future, how I want it to look. Uh, I visualize obtaining. Before I got into storage, I every single day uh, would visualize being a, an owner of self-storage. It, it was just... And it wasn't like, you know, one of these uh, manifesting energy type type of stuff, stuff like that. But it just nat- naturally happened for me. Like I just thought about it all the time. Um, and with anything for me in business, it's always been like something that's always on my mind. And I think whenever I put action behind that, uh, the it the reason it it would it being always on my mind, plus having a plan and action uh, allowed me to, uh, be successful in whatever that thing is. So, you know, you know, don't be afraid to visualize, uh, and then don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. I mean, you know, sit down and analyze what your weaknesses are, where are your weaknesses? What are your strengths and continue to educate yourself? You know, I always say competence is confidence. You know, I always get people asking me, how do I find these crazy deals and blah, blah, blah. And it's, it, it goes down to your competence on the asset class or the matter. Um, the more uh, competent you are in it, the more confident you are going into analyzing it, the more confident you are in be, being able to structure something creatively and finding the value that other people just skip over. Um, so, you know, being a subject matter expert and whatever the thing you want to be successful in is definitely extremely important. You know, like I said, whether it's books, podcasts, forums, whatever you want it to be. Um, I'm a big believer in books. I probably read like one a week or listen to one a week. And that's just helped me tremendously on my path. So, you know, again, competence is confidence and don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. Uh, that's what I've been doing these past this past quarter, just really looking at myself, analyzing myself as a, a person, a leader, a business owner, and seeing how I can, you know, project myself or, or um, uh, just get better. I mean, really get better, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, Oh, that's great. The, the person that Ed was interviewing that I don't like is Dean Graziosi. I just, I don't know. I just have a thing about him. He seems like a great guy. Just, I can't stand him. But these couple things that I've said that he said have been really good. Removing the butt from, you know, whatever. But one of the other things he said was when you don't know what to work on, work on yourself which I think is really good. Like if you're in a place where you're like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know. You know, I, I have dreams of being a millionaire or, or, you know, funding 20 gazillion orphanages or whatever. And you don't know how to do it. Okay. Well, if you don't know how to, how to do that right now, work on yourself. If you don't know how to do anything else, just start with yourself. Like you said, be introspective, figure out how you can make yourself better, learn, get educated. You know, if you want to get into self stores, but you're like, well, I don't know how to find the deals. Well, like you just said, Okay, get acclimated with self storage. All the, all the um, you know the fancy words that have to do with it. How to analyze them. How to um, figure out what they're worth. 
figure out if it's a good market, all those things. You just got to learn that before you jump in. This is for you, Alex, if you're listening to this episode. And I think Christian just said some really good things and help that can help you out, my friend. Yeah, let's go into the, uh, you want to go into the book? Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk about a book called The Most Important Thing by uh, Mr. Howard S. Marks. Before we do that, real quick, I want to give a shout out to Samuel Rowland, who listens to our podcast. He's a friend of... Uh, of our mutual friend, Jacob. He's listening all the way from, I can't remember the state, but it's somewhere up there where there's like population 1,000 people, maybe Montana. Uh, I can't remember. But he DM me uh, a week or two ago and had a question about self-storage, and I was able to answer his question. But he's been a faithful listener. I think Jacob told me he listened to our podcast almost like a year ago, and he still listens. So nice. thank you for listening, man. So anyway, go ahead, Christian. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Howard Marks is a uh, investor and a writer. He's the co-founder and co-chairman of Oak Tree Capital Management and the largest investor in distressed securities worldwide. Uh, he is a billionaire, and uh, he wrote this book called "The Most Important Thing." And the basis of this book, for the for the majority of the book, is. Um, analyzing risk and and learning how to control risk uh, when you can. A few of the things I've taken away from the book, uh, for one, is to really understand your market. And like I said, that goes hand in hand with the competence piece. Uh, you know, you need to understand what you're investing in. Uh, and especially if you're taking other people's money or using other people's money to invest then you really need to understand the asset class, uh, the what the environment and how it's tied to things like the treasury yield, uh, all that different stuff, all the, the treasury rates and, and mortgage rates and all that stuff. It's all tied together. So you really need to understand all that as a whole. Uh, so one of the first things being understanding your market. Um, and then once you have gotten to that piece, you know, you can start to break down the value uh, of whatever the asset you're looking at is. Uh, so for example, if you're looking at uh, stocks, for example, you're wanting to buy based on the intrinsic value and wanting, of course, to buy below that. But you know, looking at what makes the asset valuable, brand name, cash flow, markets, uh, you know, growth potential, and uh, when you really can understand that, you know, you're, you're not just throwing your money wherever you, you please. It's you're finally starting to get understanding of the asset that you're investing in and you can, you'll become an, a sophisticated investor, but yeah, you just have to look at the asset prices relative to its value. Investing is a popularity contest. And the most dangerous thing is to buy something at the peak of its popularity. Now we see, we've seen that across 2022, across 2022. Yeah. And uh, like like I said earlier, it's great in 2022, but uh, when the tide comes back, it's not so great. Um, a lot of people are going to be in for a, a, a rude awakening. A rude awakening. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and this just goes, you know, as we move along further with the book, it's understanding yeah, risk. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. So one of the things that he, he talks about in the, the first one or two chapters is first level thinking and second level thinking. 
So first level thinking is like what you said, you're buying uh, at the top, right? Which I may or may not have done that one or two times this year uh, in NFTs, lesson learned. Um, but first level thinking is when everyone is saying, oh, it's a good company, so let's buy the stock. Second level thinking is when you can say it's a good company, but everyone thinks it's great. It may not be. It's overrated and overpriced. Let's sell. So you're able to, well, this, let me go into some other things I was reading at or writing down, whatever. First level thinking is considered to be superficial and surface level. So again, like, oh, it's a great company. So let me just buy the stock. It's literally surface. Whereas second level thinking, which is, again, this is something that I'm going to take into this next year or the current year, since we're in the future right now when you're listening, uh, is extremely analyzing the investment. So actually, so this is not some, this is something I'm not good at. If you're familiar with Clifton Strengths Finder, my number 34 is analytical, which means it's at the very bottom, which means I'm not analytical. So this is very hard for me to do this. So it will take a lot of work for me to do this in this new year. But second level thinking extremely analyzes the investment, asks questions and assesses risk. Was this the case with Tesla or is Tesla, is Tesla actually a great company? Is it extremely undervalued now? At Tesla's all-time high, it was trading at $407 a share. It's now sitting at $122 at the time of this recording. So is, you know, these are one of the things, and again, not financial advice. I don't have any, I own zero stock. So one of the things that if I were looking at Tesla, I might be saying, well, you know, is it extremely undervalued right now? Is this a good play? What makes Tesla a good play right now? Analyzing all the things that could make it good or bad and figuring out whether I should actually park my money in this company. You know, like just looking at it like, oh, well, it's it's only it's trading at a fourth of what it used to. That's a good buy. Well, it may may good be a it may be a good buy or it may be a terrible buy if they keep plummeting. So it's just one of those things that like you were just saying, you've got to really analyze the risk and analyze um, whatever that thing is that you're investing in. So the prevalence level of thinking, second level thinking. Go ahead. The prevalence of first level thinkers increases the return of second level thinkers. <laughs> I mean, That's where's true. the lie, right? <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, the, find it. the greater full theory only works until it doesn't. Okay. And then that just leads into, all right. So obviously there's this thing called risk. I think risk is subjective for everybody to the people that support Dave Ramsey. What we do is extremely <laughs> risky and stupid. Um, and, I knew you were going there. I knew you were going there. And soon vice versa. As, I mean, as soon as you said it. yeah. I mean, so every, I think risk is subjective, and that's fine. Um, so you, as an investor, need to establish um, your risk tolerance and what that looks like uh, for you. I mean, risk means more things uh, can happen that will happen. It's it's a matter of opinion. Um, it's largely invisible before the fact. Um, and then the, uh, I mean, if you look, if you go across history, any type of financial uh, disaster that we've had, uh, has been seen to the failure of, 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 uh, foreseeing any risks. Um, so, and then people, everybody thinks it's just always going up. Right, right. So that people tend to, uh, view risk as primarily as a way to make money. Uh, so basically saying that, Bearing higher risks generally produces higher returns. Uh, now, although that may have, it looks like that's the case. Uh, you know, that's not always the case. 
it, it can't always work that way. So you have to first recognize the risk. Uh, you know, obviously when you, when you buy investment property, there's a risk there. Now, now a lot of people kind of just dismiss the risk, especially in 2022, you got, you got guys that were buying properties that didn't have multiple exit strategies and they mm -hmm. only banked on the fact that it would flip or it would uh, sell for X, Y, Z over what they were all in for. Um, and then the market starts changing. Uh, interest rates are up in the 7% and their property is still sitting without a way to get out of the property. So they failed yeah. to recognize the risk. And that's so true. Having multiple exit strategies, dude, like when the market shifted this year, at least when we lived in DFW, it literally felt like it happened overnight. I mean, I, I can't put it really into words, but it's almost like I physically felt it happen overnight. Like it was hot, multiple offers, gazillion dollars over asking. And then like the next day, the market just slowed. Showings were down, sales were down. So what happens in that situation? You know, one of the, my first flip that I've talked about that went wrong, my only exit strategy was this is a flip. If I would have known what I know now and had multiple exit strategies, I could have finished that house, even though it would have taken a little bit more money. I could have done a refinance or could have rented it out, owner finance. I mean, it had so many different strategies that I just was, I was just blind to because I was new and I didn't know. So again, the point in us telling you these things is so you cannot make the same mistakes that we did. My mistake cost me $70,000. Hopefully yours does not cost you anything because right. you're learning these things, but you, you've got to got to have multiple exit strategies with really with anything like maybe even if you're flipping cars you know i'm, I'm looking at my two cars right now uh, just the thought or if you're flipping baseball cards or pokemon cards you know like what's your strategy if you get a psa 9 and you don't get a psa 10 like you thought you were gonna get you know naively I, I bought a pack that i thought okay for sure i'll just get a psa 10 because it's a brand new pack well that's not always the case because somehow some way some of these cards get white on them even though they just came out of a pack and I may not get the grade I want. And therefore that card is now worth like $900 less than what I thought it was going to be worth. So what then? Yeah. So you got to have awareness anyway. of price and the intrinsic value. Uh, and that's just a, that's just like an essential component of dealing with risk. Um, you know, in bull markets, the common philosophy is that uh, risk is my friend. And that, that philosophy runs rampant. And when people aren't afraid of risk, they'll accept it without being compensated for doing so. So, when I take a project on, I look at the risk. I look at, you know, if my occupancy goes down to 70%, can I still uh, profit? 60%, can I still profit? You got to have those those uh, margin of error uh, built into your underwriting, into your analysis. Um, and it's just extremely important that you, that you operate that way because you'll, you know, by doing that, you're, you're going to minimize the amount of errors that you make. And then you, you start getting into these big properties, 5 million, 10 million. And then you have, you know, LPs in the deal, uh, uh, investment partners and stuff like that. Uh, and you're taking their, you're using their money for this to go buy these huge deals, 20 million, 30 million, you know? So you, at that point, you really <laughs> have to, uh, analyze the risk when you're buying these huge assets. Yeah. You better dang know well what you're doing. Right. You know, right. Um, one of the, one of the things that you just touched on was, can you, can you cash flow or can you pay the mortgage at 50% occupancy? That was one of the things that 
again, I didn't, I didn't know that when I got into it, when I bought our first one. Um, thankfully on that one, I could have cash flowed at like 20% because I bought it so cheap. Maybe not really, but some of these guys who are buying, especially the guy that bought my facility in East Texas, if he happens to be a listener, which would be like winning the lottery, the chances, um, I don't understand how he's going to cash flow if the, if the occupancy goes under like 80%, you know, it's always a hundred percent out there, but what happens when the market turns and he's down to 70, 60%. I, you know, I underwrite that we still have. Uh huh. Yeah, and like you said, you 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 write yours up. You know, okay, can I still cash flow or can I still pay the mortgage and the bills at fifty percent? And I think that's very smart. Like even um, even when when the bull market in housing was what it was in twenty twenty and a little bit before that, you know, you would you would do a cash out refi or refinance a house at eighty percent, eighty five percent, and feel peachy keen and comfortable. Well, now I wouldn't do that. You know, the house that we bought in uh, out in Tennessee for the Airbnb, I think I'm at like 65% LTV or something like that. And I feel I feel good with that. If, if I, at 80%, I would have been feeling a little nervous because it's just, it's just different times, you know. And I think we have to be aware that we can't, we can't take on, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Um just need to be more conservative with the kind of the, the debt out there. And again, it's not like a, I'm not preaching Dave Ramsey, but you know, you do need to be cognizant of, of, of those factors. Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I, uh, to me, stabilize is 85%, 85 to 87% in self-storage, anything above your, either your prices are too cheap um, or it's just, uh, it's just icing on the cake, but that's always how it's been. And, um, you know, people are seeing these very high occupancies, you know, I think they're certainly they've been used to it. And the demand for self storage right now, in this past quarter, based on uh, some yardy, yardy reports that I that I get, uh, it's down. So we're gonna see how, you know, how it does in in 2023. But, you know, because ideally, uh, self storage is connected directly to uh, house sales. So obviously house sales uh, are kind of on the decline right now. So we're going to see how uh, it plays out in 2023 and how that effectively directs occupancy for uh, self-storage operators. But um, but yeah, I mean, being attentive to cycles, I mean, uh, specifically for commercial real estate, every asset class is tied to a different cycle. Uh, now this is different than the, uh, the, the, you know, 10 year bull, bull market, whatever, uh, each, each asset class of commercial real estate. So like retail strip malls, uh, you know, apartment complexes, stuff like that. They're all tied to a different cycle and you can actually go and, um, find out like where your, uh, asset class is or on, on the cycle. And this is called the Mueller uh, real estate market cycle monitor. So um, the University of Denver often puts out these these uh, reports, these yearly reports, um, or they do it every quarter on an analysis of where exactly the uh, each asset class is. So you know, the last time I looked at it, uh, office for example in downtown was on uh, a six out of the uh, there are sixteen numbers here, and they all have a certain you know. It's a, a certain pattern on, on the 
on the graph there. Um, but yeah, so I mean, being just being attentive to different cycles, being attentive to uh, the 10-year treasury uh, rates, uh, because that's directly tied to uh, commercial mortgages and stuff like that, um, Fed meetings, whatever the case, you know, you really have to have a macroeconomic outlook if you're investing, especially in commercial real estate. Um, but having a macro outlook in your business, as well as a micro outlook, will help you to be successful and to uh, position yourself correctly whenever things do turn so you're not caught, you know, um, being the bag holder. Put your pants down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You yeah. And from the, yeah. Uh, and I think, so I'm going to go over uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight questions that you can ask when you're assessing risk. So this is kind of back to the book um, that I think for me personally, I, I'm, I'm going, I, I probably will use, if not all of these, at least most of these when I'm looking at anything in the future, because I think these are great questions to ask that for someone like me, who's not analytical, I have these questions that can, that are literally already pre-made for me that I can pencil in and, and figure out, okay, does this work for me? So I'm going to go over these and then we can either touch on them or, or move on. Uh, so the questions that you can ask when you're assessing risk, and I think as we've already probably beat a dead horse about, you've got to assess risk or you will fail. What is the range of likely future outcomes? Which outcome do I think will occur? What's the probability that I'm right? What does the consensus think? How does my expectation differ from the consensus? How does the current price for the asset comport with the consensus view of the future and with mine? Is the consensus psychology that's incorporated in the price too bullish or too bearish? So again, like the, the Tesla example, is it, is it bullish or bearish right now? You know, those are things you've got to analyze. And then the last one, what will happen to the asset's price if the consensus turns out to be right? And what if I'm right? So uh, just some good questions to ask when you're assessing risk. I mean, I think um, unless you have other things on the book. Yeah, I mean, like, I, just to finish it off, you you, you know, we're not saying to uh, to avoid risk because at the end of the day, you can't avoid risk. You cross the street, there's risk. You wake up, there's risk. Uh, you know, even even getting getting married, there's risk. Having kids, there's risk. There's risk everywhere. So you can't avoid risk, but you just have to ask yourself: Are you compensated enough for the risk? Is the reward great enough to compensate for the small amount of risk that you're taking? Mm -hmm. And that's that's true. It's it's really just assessing the what. Okay, what are, what what are you comfortable with taking on? You know, I, and I do want to say this about Dave. I think he is great for people with consumer debt who have an issue with spending money, who have an issue with um, really just not being good uh, stewards of their money, right? Dave is very good at helping people get out of debt. And one of the things that um, I can see for the people that do like him, and I don't, I don't not like him, you know, <laughs> We joke with our friend who used to work with him, you know, probably a little bit too much. So I, I've said to him, like, hey, I don't I don't not like Dave. I think when it comes to investing, I just don't agree and that's fine. But one of the things I do agree with Dave is sometimes like, you know, you and I, though my view is shifting a little bit, you and I both have been keen on, you know, uh, taking out loans for cars that we want because instead of dropping, let's just say 40 grand on a car, 
you can take out a note for, you know, $400 a month. So it's, it's opportunity costs. But so are you, you have to assess the risk. Are you okay with having a $400 a month payment or would you rather drop 40 grand? You know, me personally, I would I would rather pay $400 a month to still have 40 grand in my bank account if something happens or if I see a deal come up. So you just have to, some people like the peace of mind of having cars paid off. I'm not going to lie. Two of our three cars that we have left are paid off. And that's a great feeling. If I do sell the RX-7, I may either replace it or I may not. And then I won't have any car notes. And I'm not going to lie. The peace of mind of that is is pretty nice. The feeling of, okay, I don't have any more car payments. You just have to figure out like what you're comfortable with. Uh, not to, like you said, not to say risk is bad. And I, and I don't, and hear us, the point of this podcast is not to say don't take risk in 2023. If you can handle the good and the bad potential outcomes, I think you should take risk. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities in this new year for a lot of people to make a lot of money. If you can analyze risk and have more than one plan, a plan A, plan B, plan C for what could happen. You know, don't be like me and flip a house and only think, well, I can only flip it. It's not going well. I got to sell it and take a loss because that was terrible. But again, hindsight's twenty twenty. I know what I know now. You need to figure out what you're comfortable with and you need to know any possible outcome and have a plan for those possible outcomes. That way you're not taken by surprise and you're not stressing out. Because when I stress out, everyone in the house feels it and I don't like that. So what can I do in this new year to get better? Um, for if something doesn't go how I planned, okay, well, if I knew that or if I at least planned for it, well, then I don't have the stress of the unknown. I think uh, 2023 is going to be a fantastic year. Maybe not in the economy, but a fantastic year for those who are prepared. <laughs> A lot of opportunity to a lot of ways to be creative to to maybe jump into um, the real estate space. Uh, you know, uh, maybe if you were trying to get into to buying some blue blue chip stocks, maybe you know there's an opportunity to buy at discounts. Um, yep. You know, there's there's tons of opportunity. You just have to view it as a opportunity and not as gloom and doom. The world's going to fall apart. But uh, if you're not there yet and you're not prepared for the opportunity, uh, start working on trying to get prepared. You obviously need to cover your, make sure you can cover your expenses first. If you have nothing, then focus on you know trying to get six months of expenses saved, a year of expenses saved. Yep. Start there, and then whenever you have some disposable income or disposable cash laying around, see where you can invest it. Yeah. Hey, I agree there. Let me, let me touch on that real quick too. I had a, f- a buddy of mine text me, uh, this is a friend of mine I've known for, I think 20, 22 years. Uh, he texted me two, three weeks ago. He's like, Hey man, I'm, I'm about to have about 30 grand, uh, that, that we're going to have, uh, I forgot how he's going to get it. doesn't matter, but he's basically saying, Hey, I got 30 grand. What should I do with it? If you were me, what would you do? And normally I would not, t- I would not say this. I mean, you know, I mean, I think anyone who's been listening for almost the past three years knows this, I would probably say put it, you know, in X, Y, Z. But I told him, I was like, bro, if you don't have any other extra cash, I would hold on to that right now because um, obviously the market is in the crapper and who knows what's going to happen. You know, we just uh, signed a new 50 trillion, million, billion, gazillion dollar spending bill where we're just, the printer's just going burr and printing all the money. 
so I told him, man, I would just hold on to it. Um, so I think like you just said, it's important to have six to 12 months. Maybe I'm being a little conservative with the 12, but six to 12 months of, okay, if I lose my job, can I pay the mortgage and feed my family for the next six to 12 months with this extra cash? And if you cannot, I would highly encourage you to do so because if something does happen, at least you'll have, let's just say six months to figure something out and you're not stressing and everybody's not feeling it. Your marriage isn't falling apart. Your kids aren't, you know, without food or diapers or whatever. I want to say two more things real quick. I wrote this down earlier. As we move into 2023, I would encourage you to take a look back on 2022. And if you're a person of faith, all that God did, remember to be grateful, celebrate the wins, and let those wins, big or small, fuel this new year. I think it's very important for us to, I have a problem doing this. I don't, I typically, I'm very grateful. I'm a very grateful person. One of the ways I connect with God is through gratitude, but I don't take a lot of time to look back on my successes. I kind of just move on. Um, but I think looking back at where you've come from is very important to kind of fuel you into those bigger wins. And then the last thing is I put on my Instagram story back a couple months ago when I got in TikTok for like three minutes um, and I'm kind of retouching on it here. A lot of us have come from families who sacrificed everything for us. It's up to us to not let them down. Don't let all their labor be in vain. So basically what I said on that video was it's disrespectful to those who believe in you for you not to achieve your dreams and what you're called to do. So get out there, kick some ass, and let this year be your best yet, right? There you go. There it is. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for listening. It's going to be a great year. Great year. Uh, Can't wait for the Mercados to move out to Tennessee. It'll be a better year. (laughs) Anyway, guys. Thanks for listening. Hope you uh, kick some butt this year and we'll see you here in a couple weeks. Yeah. This episode of the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more tips and strategies on entrepreneurship, life, and business to help you create the life you've always dreamed of. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content on planet Earth.